What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. Ansel Linder here. And today I want to go over Bitcoin's security budget, the truth about Bitcoin's security budget. It's been a lot of talk and chatter out there on Bitcoin Twitter or Bitcoin X, whatever you call it these days. Um, Dylan LeClaire had a small little video. We're going to go through that, watch that. Then there was responses from all over the industry. Uh, I have another video I want to watch of Nick Carter from four years ago. So post or sorry, pre uh, rising star Nick Carter. We're going to watch a video of his comment on that. Uh, then Eric Voskel, he had a presentation last year at the Honey Badger conference, I believe. And so we're going to watch the appropriate clip from that where he talks about tail emission and security in Bitcoin. So lots of stuff to watch and comment on today. Let's share my screen to bitcoinandmarkets.com. This is my homepage. All the stuff I do comes out on here. This week, we did go over the fundamentals report on Monday live stream. If you missed that, I'd also put that out on podcast version uh, today. Uh, I also wanted to mention this. So the we do a price forecast competition with the community here. Uh, you have to be a member on the website, a paid member on the website, and you can win $20 in sats over the Lightning Network if you are closest to the price at the end of the month. I usually stop the entries on the fourth of every month, but I've extended it until midnight tonight on the sixth. Uh, so if you want to get in on the price forecast competition and have a chance to win $20 in sats, you have to become a paid member on the website and go to this post and you can enter there. So I uh, appreciate everybody that supports it. And this is just something that the community can do uh, to help not only support the show, but have a little fun with, um, you know, the Bitcoin price right now. I mean, what's the price right now? I probably should just predict that it's 25704 That should be the price that everyone guesses because it is just flat as heck. Let's take a look at that. Here is the chart. You can see, let me go to the, down to the hourly. We did get a little green candle here. Don't know what the news was in the last couple hours. I have been offline for the couple hours before this live stream, uh, but interesting price action going on right now. That is all we got for that. All right, let's go to this tab. And what I'm going to do is share my screen here on Telegram because I'm live streaming on Telegram. That's my home base for the community to chat back and forth. Uh, but they're usually audio only and they can't listen to the videos. But I'm going to share my screen over there. I'm also live streaming on Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. So if you guys want to, if you don't catch the live stream, um, you know, live, you can always go back to your favorite platform and watch that. Um, those are left up forever. And it also usually, if it's a good live stream, <laughs> I put it out as a podcast version. So you can look for the podcast uh, in any podcast app, Bitcoin and Markets. I also am on Fountain. So value for value. If you get good value out of these podcasts, you can find me on Fountain. The link should be in the description wherever you're watching or listening, whatever. Um, okay, I'm going to share my screen on Telegram. Make sure I share system audio. What's up, guys? You have eyes, finally. So, there we go. All right, let's talk security budget, tail emissions, uh, Bitcoin's...
future with each having. Um, okay, the debate is risen again, or debate uh, about you know Bitcoin is not going to be secure uh, because these minus the minor revenue will diminish uh, in perpetuity with each subsequent having. Okay, I'm going to pause this, refresh this tab. It happens always when I'm live streaming with Restream. It always does this for the Twitter videos, but the next videos will be YouTube videos, so it shouldn't do this. All right, let's see if we can get this going. All right, let's talk security budget, tail emissions, uh, Bitcoin's future with each having. Um, okay. Oh boy. All right, I'll just have to summarize this and then we're gonna go on to the Nick Carter thing. So what Dylan is saying here is first off, I want you to notice a pattern. Um, when people talk about security budget, they don't ever say really what it is security from. What are we supposed to be budgeting for? Security. I mean, what does that mean? And so Dylan here, I, he does a good job. He talks about the havings and how if a having comes and the price doesn't expand, you know, by double to keep the security budget or the value of the, re the reward level, then hash rate will go down and the difficulty will adjust down as well. So there's no real problem, but he's seeding the territory already of what is security, that the value of the block reward is some sort of security budget. And that is not a given. That is a complete just fabrication by the people that want to build a narrative in Bitcoin. I think that there a lot of this stuff is about a Hegelian dialectic, you know, they they have the answer. And let me go actually to my profile and I answered somebody that today streaming really slows down my freaking browser here. There we are. Where did I say it? Come on, come on, come on. Okay, so this Justin Bonds, um, he said that Bitcoin will lift the 21 million limit before the security budget runs out. What security budget? What are we securing against here, Justin Bonds? But he obviously won't answer that because he doesn't have a definition that makes sense. Uh, this was always the main alternative to raising the block size limit. Okay. Core fought tooth and nail to prevent layer one scaling. Now it must compensate for the, the low fees it caused. Increasing inflation is the only option left. But you see how they have constructed this idea of a security budget so that there's only two solutions to it, either tail inflation or tail emission or increasing the block size and having more transactions. It is completely constructed as a way to attack Bitcoin. It's a Hegelian dialectic. I say Bitcoin security budget is not what you claim it is. You define it in, as a Hegelian dialectic to achieve your predetermined solution and narrative. Think of Bitcoin's security budget as a dynamic fee response on top of the asymmetric cost of running a node versus stopping a node. I'll go into that more, but the main idea here is that a quote unquote security budget for Bitcoin is dynamic and it's fee-based, which we'll get into that with Eric Voskel here in a second. Let me 
get into now. Nick Carter, this is back at the MIT Bitcoin Expo in 2019, and he's talking about Bitcoin's security budget. Let's see if he defines it. Okay, that is the first thing you should look for in this debate is if they define what security is. All right, let's go. So the uh, the title is a bit of a misnomer, actually. Um, the talk is mostly about Bitcoin's long term uh, monetary sustainability. Uh, so just looking back briefly over you know the first ten years, I think it's been an astounding uh, ten years. Uh, and the, you know the two data points I think are the most important um, are you know the transaction count to some degree, but really the the, the value flowing through the system. Um, which is, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been uh, between a billion and $10 billion a day, uh, which I think is extremely impressive for a, a new, um, you, you know, monetary system. Um, and, you know, everyone in the press tends to be obsessed by transactions per second, et cetera. I think what matters is the fact that Bitcoin settles, you know, a couple billion dollars a day on average. Um, but, you know, the question is, what does the future hold? And Okay, so that's a good point. Um, and that is... Part of how I would answer this whole debate, the value throughput, how much is settled per day on the Bitcoin network. He said back here in uh, 2019, that was after the bottom, I believe, of the last bear market going into a new bull market and uh, two and a half million or two and a half billion a day, he said. Uh, I looked it up today and that's still about the average. Uh, we can get up to five billion during the big peak times, we can get up to 10 billion, but the average is about two and a half to three billion a day. Now, what happens when we're settling five trillion a day? And and he'll get into that a little bit here. Let's see if he defines security anywhere. Everybody is talking about the the you know the the decline in, in the block rewards over time. The next halving is I think next year even, um, and the the fee market um, is inevitable um, and. I believe integral to the success of Bitcoin in the very long term. So we've seen the fee market being modeled uh, in a bunch of ways. People are trying to guess at what average fees on a per transaction basis will have to be for Bitcoin to be considered secure in the long term. You know, you'll see estimates, $15 fees per transaction, but that actually. Secure. This is like a, a drinking game. Every time they say secure or security uh, and don't define it, we should take a drink. Puts the cart before the horse a little bit. Uh, the question is, what should an appropriate level of security expenditure be for drink. Bitcoin, you know, for it to be considered secure? And this is very much a drink. question, one that oh I think God. we don't have enough discussion on. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Uh, and, you know, right now, Bitcoin spends about two. He wants to talk about it, but he won't define what it is or what it's securing against at all. This whole speech he has, he doesn't define it. $0.3 billion a year on security. And so that goes into buying ASICs. Okay, billion, what did he say? Uh, I was talking over that. Uh, Two billion a year, 1.5 billion, whatever he said, a year to secure the network. What does that mean? He's saying it's about ASICs? Um, you know, and electricity. Um, so the question is, is that too high? Is that too low? We actually don't know. Bitcoin seems to be safe, but we're not certain whether that, you know, is an appropriate number. Um, so then the question is, what actually is the security model over the long term? And I'm not going to talk sort of niche adversarial conditions because uh, th that's not. Okay, so he's going to talk about security models, so he better have what we're securing against, right? What does he even mean by it? Not something I know a lot about, but I'm going to talk in broad strokes here. Um, so, you know, what does our Lord and Savior Satoshi have to say about this? Um, he says, well, if, um, you know, an attacker has 
it can be overpowered by, you know, all, all of the honest players in the system, then Bitcoin is assumed to effectively be secure. Okay, so Satoshi said, if a majority of CPU proof of worker is controlled by honest nodes, the honest chain will grow the fastest and outpace any competing chains. Okay. Secure. Um, and th there was a lot of discussion in the early days of Bitcoin because there was no formal proof of this. It, it worked in practice and not in theory, which really scares academics. They don't like that. Um, so S Satoshi, you know, he, he, this was he didn't actually give us that much detail on the security model, which is okay. So he kind of left us to fill in the gaps. Um, so the main contention of this talk is that there's a few ways to think about Bitcoin security. Um, and uh, again, I think there's... Okay, so Satoshi said the only thing you're securing against is a 51% attack. Why did he say that? It's not because Nick Carter or other people now have discovered something that Satoshi didn't think about. It's because they're thinking about it wrong. And Satoshi was thinking about it properly. So the 51% attack is basically a double spend attack or a uh, empty block attack, a censorship attack. That's what that is. What other kind of attack is there? <laughs> you know, like what, what are you securing against here, Nick, other than that? A nation state, he said a nation state attack. What was that? A nation state attack or a short seller attack. Okay. Th those aren't real. Um, <laughs> because a nation state can't do anything other than censor transactions or double spend. You know, what else can they do? Th those are the only attacks. That's why Satoshi said that. That's why he left it at that. But you're building on top of it probably because you want to do something nefarious. It, it worked in practice and not in theory, which really scares academics. They don't like that. Um, so S Satoshi, you know, he, he, this was he didn't actually give us that much detail on the security model, which is okay. So he kind of left us to fill in the gaps. Um, so <laughs> the main contention of this talk is that there's a few ways to think about Bitcoin security. Um, and uh, again, I think there's been maybe insufficient discussion about this, you know, in Bitcoin land. Uh, so if you ask most Bitcoiners why Bitcoin is safe, what many of them will say is that Bitcoin spends an overwhelming amount of money on security and, and you know hashes on security, right? Um, so you know trillions of hashes and billions of dollars a year go into buying ASICs, and those ASICs are really you know they're non-repurposable, so they're exclusive hardware. So miners have a long-term alignment. Um, but what are they securing? Mining and the uh, money spent on ASICs has almost nothing to do with security. And then if you if you simplify that down, the idea is simply that uh, there's a very high threshold of expenditure at which this also goes uh, is because people believe miners are in charge and miners are not in charge. Nodes are in charge. You know, the budget, the security budget, if there is such a thing, would be the cost to run a node. And to hold your own keys. That's you know, and the fees, because that's the users, the node operators and the users are paying fees. So that is the security budget. Miners are not in charge. They can't change the code. They can't do, they can hard fork and create an altcoin, but they cannot change the code on their own. They are providing a service and they're being paid for that service. It's not, not, not a security budget or anything like that. Bitcoin is understood, you know, to be secure. Um, so drink, if you ask, um, you, you know, high profile um, Bitcoiners, many of them will answer this. And I, I can tell you that because I have been asking them. Um, so, so the idea here, here is that, you know, you need, you know, one Three Gorges dam worth of electricity um, and you need to own an ASIC foundry in order to acquire the resources, um, you know, to attack Bitcoin. So that's very difficult. And so far, nobody's been able to do it.
On top of that, you have to want to be a malicious actor. You know, when honest behavior will pay you better than malicious behavior, you have to also just not want to be an honest actor for some masochistic reason on top of cornering the market in a way that nobody knows. Um, then there's a, a more subtle approach here, which, which is what I call the stock model, um, which is essentially the idea that um, you should index the security expenditure to the value of what you're protecting, which is you know the aggregate value of all the Bitcoins. Um, so th that's a little different from threshold because it implies that as Bitcoin grows. Okay, the stock model is about indexing to the value of all the Bitcoins. I think they that might be correct other except that they are the stock is not the total value of all bitcoins the stock is the amount of bitcoins in transit the amount of bitcoins the stock of bitcoins in the mempool then you can talk about then you start talking about fees brings brings you down the fee road because fees are the actual quote unquote security budget of bitcoin you should be spending more and more on security you know, so that is contrary to the threshold model. And then recently there's this paper by Eric Badish, an economist at UChicago, where he says, actually, uh, you should contemplate uh, really large transactions in 51% attacks, and then you, sh you should spend a lot in fees. You know, 30% of, of, uh, of transaction volume should be spent in fees, which is really a lot. Um, and I think it was a compelling paper, but um, I probably don't have enough time to go into that here. So we're, we're just gonna leave that aside for now. So really we're gonna talk about threshold and stock models. Uh, of security, although I do recommend the Badish paper. So to um, to d you know talk about the threshold model uh, quickly, um, this is really the idea is that there's some level of sort of annualized security spend at which Bitcoin is safe. And you know the problem is that we don't really know where it is. Bitcoin isn't being attacked now, so perhaps 2.3 billion is is enough. But maybe Bitcoin isn't being attacked now, so perhaps 2.3 billion is enough. He's almost there, but he's unwilling to accept that it's dynamic. Maybe um, it, it could be less. There are many, you know, secure chains that don't spend uh, what Bitcoin spends on security, right? So there are many uh, much smaller chains that seem to be okay. Um, so we don't know where it is, and it's sort of an unsatisfying model, perhaps. Uh, the, the stock model, I think, makes a little bit more sense. Um, so the idea is that as the system is more capacious um, and as the, the returns from an attack grow, um, you know, think about a short-selling attack where you sabotage Bitcoin in some way and you short-sell if Bitcoin's worth a trillion dollars, the returns from that, that attack, you know, will, would justify um, spending more on the attack, right? So as the, the prize grows, um, you, you know, the, the cost to attack, um, you know, attackers in theory would have more resources because the prize is significant. Uh, so the idea is that Bitcoin should index its security expenditure. So, okay, let's say <laughs> there, let's say the budget is the ASICs and everything and, and somebody gets uh, all the electricity and the ASIC foundry and they get a 51% attack and they start making empty blocks and they short sell on exchanges. I mean, there's going to be no liquidity for them to exit their scam. You know, that is the problem with this is if you are censoring all these transactions, there's no exit liquidity. It's absolutely 100% pure loss just to attack it for some sort of ideological reason. You can't design a security model around a infinite deep pockets 
pure malicious actor that has no reaction to market incentives. That's <laughs> one. It's a complete hypothetical and doesn't exist. Okay. So stock model here, once again, it has nothing to do with the overall value of all Bitcoins. It has to do with the value of Bitcoins in the mempool. Sure. To something like market capitalization, but that, as we all know, is actually not how Bitcoin works. Uh, it does. Okay. That's enough of Nick Carter. Now we're going on to somebody that actually knows what he's talking about. And this is Eric Vosco. Uh, he has long history with uh, Lib Bitcoin. And there was some drama recently. I don't know what it is uh, on Lib Bitcoin. I think it might have been some sort of exploit in there. But uh, he has kind of uh, not been working as much on the repository. That's kind of what I gleaned. But anyway, he was talking here at the 2022 Honey Badger Conference, and he's talking about tail emissions. And he did a bunch of math before this, but I'm going to cut that out. Uh, you guys can go back and watch it if you want to. Uh, but he's kind of mathematically proving that uh, things are asymptotic anyway. What else? That Well, he, he dives into minor behavior here. Uh, but notice he defines security up front. That's the first thing he does. Okay, so why do we care, right? Um, well, the, the concern expressed was about uh, declining block reward due to declining subsidy leads to implies lower hash rate. Lower hash rate implies lower com longer confirmation time, which implies lower utility, which implies lower demand, which lower lower demand implies lower reward, etc. And you know, it's a death spiral. That's that's the that's you know kind of why this has been raised. So some considerations. Um, there's different different aspects of security that you know, we care about, or different. There's three different things that we really care about in this scenario. Maybe there's some others. Double spend cost. Um, See, he even corrected himself a little bit there using the term security. He said, these are the things we care about in this type of scenario. But then he lays this out. Double spend, censorship, and price inflation. Censorship, cost, you call this security, and price inflation. Okay, so double spend cost is, so double spend security is the cost of double spending, right? It's, that's, that's where it comes from. It's not time and it's not hash rate. It's, it's the combination of those. So it should be no surprise to anybody. Reduced hash rate implies more time to achieve the same level of assurance. That's why that item is there. But censorship. So that would be kind of the threshold attack is what he's talking about in that, I would say, comparing that to Nick Carter. Chip cost is something different entirely. Um, every miner has to select transactions. There's no way to select the optimal set because it takes many, many hours to compute the maximal fee from a set of transactions. So they, they, they select transactions on an arbitrary basis, which you could call censorship. But the fact that everybody does it differently and there's kind of no pattern to it means it doesn't really matter. Um, some things that people may not see. Um, there's no cost to achieving majority hash power. It's been done, we believe. And you're probably the most profitable miner when you're doing it. So you, don't, you shouldn't operate under that assumption. That's hard to do. You can't do it. It's the most profitable. Um, mining is profitable. So he said there that a majority hash power uh, miner is the most efficient way to go about it. Uh, you want to get the most hash rate possible. And that makes sense. I, he's thinking of it more in, along the lines of a free market and like perfect competition. You know, there is no monopoly in the free market because anybody can come in and start doing what you're doing. So that's the same with mining. Even if somebody has 75% of the hash rate, um, they, there's still competition out there for them. And also they are, their incentives are aligned to not 51% attack, 
the network. Of course, it would be really scary and people probably the price of Bitcoin would go down. And so the miners probably wouldn't want to do that. But overall, even if a miner had, say, 75, 80 percent of the hash rate, they are still restrained by the incentives for honest mining. But anyway, let's get back into this. To the same extent, regardless of the block reward, the size of the block reward has nothing to do with how much money miners make. Um, I think I had this discussion with Alex Petrov yesterday, and he had no argument with it. Right? Um, uh, in, a, in a competitive market, don't you shouldn't operate under that assumption. It's hard to do, and you can't do it. It's the most profitable. Um, mining is profitable to the same extent, regardless of the block reward. The size of the block reward has nothing to do with how much money miners make. Um, I think I had this discussion with Alex Petrov yesterday, and he had no argument with it, right? Um, uh, comp in, a, in a competitive market, right, the, 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 the margin you make is going to be the interest rate. So what he's saying there is that the cost to produce a Bitcoin in mining in the long run will approach the market value. And so also profit in a perfect competition market, it approaches the interest rate. Margins will approach the interest rate. So he says mining in, co in perfect competition or in free market competition in the long run, the, the cost to produce the Bitcoin will approach the cost to mine it or sorry, the cost to mine it will um, approach the market value. So the block reward doesn't really matter anyway. It's all about the fees and dynamic fees. He's getting into that here the uh, economic interest rate. So uh, I saw some arguments about, you know, hey, miners should get paid more, right? <laughs> if miners are making excess profit, companies is gonna come and bring that down to the interest rate. So the size of the block reward is not what, uh, is, is not a question of whether miners are profitable or not. Um, also, we should consider that it can't be shown that uh, censorship implies falling price and therefore people you know, would be shooting themselves in the foot. Censorship may even lead to increased price because it brings, you know, Bring in a Fed coin, censor everything, tell everybody it's all good, all the big banks get involved, and we have Bitcoin hyper Bitcoinization, and the price goes up. Who knows, right? That's not something you can prove economically, one way or the other. So, censorship resistance is a function of somebody paying miners to mine transactions illegally in the face of censorship, including in the face of a 51% attack where the censor may be um, um, not mining on anybody else's blocks, right? So the way we pay miners to mine transactions they're not supposed to mine is through fees. Um, and that's important because fees are anonymous. You can pay them otherwise, you can pay them on the side, but having integral fees makes it anonymous. Anybody can grab them. Now, the fees have to rise above the kind of going rate for censor transactions in order to, in order to pay those miners. Otherwise, they're just going to mine censor transactions. Right? Why, would, why would they take the risk? So the difference between the going fee rate on censor transactions and the fee that people are willing to pay to get their black market transactions mined is what pays miners to do it when it's not allowed, potentially increasing their hash rate above that of the sensors and getting those transactions confirmed. This is not a new idea. It's, you know, if anybody read my book, it's in there, talked about it for a long time, but this is the basis of censorship resistance. So um, when it comes to subsidy, the sensor earns the same subsidy that the non-sensor earns. It does not contribute in any way to censorship resistance. That's a very good point too. So uh, block reward is the same for a attacker as it is for an honest miner. So the fees are the only difference. It's the only way that you can attack Bitcoin as a miner is double spend or a censorship attack. You can't change your rules. Now that's the security. 
So the security here is uh, censorship resistance. How do we enforce censorship resistance? Well, it's done through fees, dynamic fees. And he just said there that the people that want to, the censor transactions, they have to up their fee to raise the opportunity cost for the attacking miner. That's doing either allowing only like bank transactions through or allowing only uh, KYC transactions through, allowing only uh, their transactions or no transactions through. You have to raise your fee in order to raise the opportunity cost for the attacking miner and make it worthwhile for other miners to come in and compete against the sensor. So security is all about securing censorship resistance. It's not about securing the history on the blockchain. Okay. That's cryptographically secure. It's secured by the rules of the network and the nodes on the network and the decentralization. That's what that's secured by. When you talk security budget, all you're talking about is how do we sec secure censorship resistance? Doesn't hurt, doesn't help. And I know I'm getting short in time. Um, so without fees, there's no necessary cost to censorship. Of course, fees can be paid off. Okay, but we have integral fees regardless of where the, where the uh, subsidy is set. So, sorry. Let's skip some ideas here. I think that's a duplicate. Sorry. So we talked about that. As long as the model exists, censorship resistance is feasible. Hash rate, average fee, subsidy value, none of these are measures of resistance, right? There has to be a differential between certain transactions and other transactions. They can only exist in... So hash rate, average fee, subsidy value, he says none of those measure censorship resistance or AKA security. It has to be the, different, the differential in fees. The dynamic response of the network is the security budget. Fees. So, okay, we talked about that. I have two more slides here. I think that's a duplicate of this. Yep, okay, so it's not a sub, this is, this is probably the most important idea, which I saved at the end and figured I'd run out of time on. Um, but now I have to talk about subsidy. It's a misnomer. Nobody is subsidizing miners. Miner, you know, the, the fact that you have gold is not a subsidy to gold miners, and the fact that you have Bitcoin is not a subsidy to Bitcoin miners because there's this thing we call the, the block subsidy. Misnomers, these things are casual terms, right? But a miner is paying market price for every coin he mines. There's no discount. Right? He pays full price no matter what the subsidy is. He's still paying full price for every coin, which means what he's creating has no effect on price. How can it lower price if he's paying the market price? Right? Important idea to consider. I didn't leave nearly enough time to discuss it, and I know it's probably the most interesting topic for you guys. Uh, okay, so there was some confusion on that idea. I think I already talked about it, that in the long run, the cost to mine a Bitcoin will approach the market price. So that's why he's saying there is no actual subsidy because in the long run, the miner isn't making anything. They're they're spending as much on the electricity and the equipment and the labor and, you know, the facility, all that stuff. They're spending as much on that as they are on the Bitcoin itself that they mine in the long run. Now we haven't, you know, when is the long run? That's the whole Keynesian thing. When, when is the long run? And you know, in the long run, we're all dead sort of uh, idea. We will get there, though, long enough time horizon. When we're talking about this quote unquote security budget and we're talking about tail emission, those type of concerns are decades down the road. And that's the long run for Bitcoin here. Um, so anyway, I thought that was interesting and where I wanted to leave that video.
let's jump over to Pierre. And like I said, uh, I think maybe I was talking about this before it hit live uh, with Telegram, but Pierre here tweeted about this back in May. And of course, he's tweeted about this many times in past years. He's tweeted about this many times. But uh, this year, this was the one that I found that stood out to me uh, that started this on May 9th. So, so this is even before the drive ch chain thing came out. Maybe he has like spidey sense or he's uh, thinking about, you know, his perception of what's going on in Bitcoin is, is really heightened. And so he was already tweeting about this. But he says, we're seeing the fallacy of security budget come up again. Fees rise in response to block stuffing not preemptively as a deterrent and the subsidy is irrelevant. So exactly what Eric Voskel and I have been saying, it's the option to bid up fees going forward. That makes Bitcoin censorship resistant, not the value of past mining rewards. He mentioned censorship resistance here. That is what we mean by security. But of course, Nick Carter, Udi, Eric Wall, all those people, they will not talk about what security means at all because they don't understand it. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is another one from Pierre in May again. Mythical security budget. Persistently high fees deter hypothetical future attack. Just let that sink in. That's what they're saying these big blockers or attackers to Bitcoin's ideas here. What they are saying that Persistently high fees are needed to deter a hypothetical future attack. And even Nick Carter, he said, oh, Bitcoin's not under attack right now. And other networks, they get by on much, much lower security budget. Well, yes, because it's a hypothetical future attack. And the high fees don't, you don't have to have persistently high fees. Okay, and then he says reality. Temporarily high fees are a response to actually present attack. It's the ability of users to bid up fees that secures transaction finality, not new issuance or sunk costs. All right. Then he has another one here. Again, from May, a little bit later. Bitcoin doesn't have a security budget. The finality of transactions is secured by permissionless proof of work combined with the ability for users to bid up fees. And I'll add decentralization of nodes because Nodes are the ones that secure the rules of the network and set miners as a subordinate class. The miners are a subordinate class to node operators. Not all miners run nodes, but it's designed to be, if you're running a node, you can also mine with that node. But miners, the action of mining is a subordinate function to node operators. These are not measurable quantities, they're features of the system. And that's also important. Not being measurable leaves ambiguity and uncertainty for attackers. If it was defined and measurable, they could game it out. It would not be secure. Everything that gets measured gets managed. So it not being a measurable quantity, it being a dynamic future potential, means that it can't be gamed. It's the same way with upgrades. The soft forks and hard forks that I was talking about, I think on Monday, it's the same way. New issuance is irrelevant. Okay, so that is all I have for today, guys. Let me go back to 
bitcoinandmarkets.com. I'll remind you guys to, uh, if you want to get all of my past content, it's there. If you want to support the show, you do it on bitcoinandmarkets.com. Uh, people that are supporting the show, uh, there you can sign up for the September price forecast competition until midnight tonight. That's when entries will be cut off. And uh, to do that, and you guys aren't supporters, you got to become a paid member on bitcoinandmarkets.com. And then you can enter the price forecast competition. You get your name on the Hall of Fame and a $20 reward over the Lightning Network for the person closest to the closing price at the end of the month. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.